I'm Bernie Crane. I'm John Crane. You're listening to the Jazz Session with Jason Crane, our dad. Welcome to the Jazz Session. I'm Jason Crane. The Jazz Session is sponsored by Matt Rock, Murat Verdi, and Kyle Quas. This is episode 407 for September 24th, 2012. Today's guest is Anat Cohen. Thanks to the Respect Sextet for the theme music to this show. They're online at respectsextet.com. Thanks also to Dave Rabel and Rob Grundell for the Jazz Session logo and the Jazz or Bust logo, respectively. You can follow me online at Jason D. Crane. You can, of course, find the Jazz Session at thejazzsession.com, and you can sign up for the mailing list there. There's a link right at the top of the page of thejazzsession.com. My poems and tour diaries are at jasoncrane.org, and that will continue to be the case as things go on even after the end of the Jazz Session, coming up on October 29th. I found out a few days ago that I was accepted to the Upaya Zen Center in Santa Fe, New Mexico. You can find out more about them at upaya.org, U-P-A-Y-A.org. So I'll be heading there sometime in October, and I'll produce all of October's shows before I go. But I'm really, really excited about that. I think it's going to be a great opportunity for me and uh, just a great way to move on to whatever the next thing is. So I'm looking forward to that, and uh, as I'm recording this right now, I'm in Jackson, Mississippi, hanging out with some friends, and then I'm going back to Auburn, Alabama for a couple of weeks, and then uh, out to Santa Fe. So that's my travel schedule for the next couple of weeks. Now, I scheduled this show for today thinking that, uh, I don't know why I was thinking this, that Anat Cohen's run at the Village Vanguard would still be going on. And I didn't have any open slots before today. Uh, unfortunately, her run at the Village Vanguard ended yesterday, as you're listening to this. So uh, you can't go see her at the Village Vanguard unless you have a time machine. Uh, I did, though, and it was awesome. I went to the first set on the first night, and man, the band just sounded fantastic. So we'll hear some music from Anat Cohen and her new album, Claro Scuro, uh, which is also really worth your time. And then my conversation with Anat. Here it comes. <laughs> Thank you. 
My guest is Anat Cohen, and it's such a pleasure to have you here. It feels like uh, I've been wanting to do this for a long, long time. I'm really glad you're here. I'm glad we finally get to do this. Yeah, me too. Uh, you're, it seems like, to make the most sense to start with the thing that's coming up soonest, which is uh, about, you're about to go into the Vanguard uh, yes. for a week. Will you talk about what you'll be doing there and who'll be with you? I will be playing with my quartet, um, the wonderful Jason Linder on piano, uh, Joe Martin on bass, and Daniel Friedman on drums. And we're going to be celebrating the release of the new album. Well, I guess playing at the Vanguard is a celebration for itself. That's <laughs> no uh, you're playing happening. at the Vanguard. You're playing at the Vanguard, but it's actually the timing of uh, the release of uh, the new album. We're going to be playing music from the new album um, that is called Claroscuro that we can discuss, I guess, in sure. a minute. But um, we're going to be playing, and we're going to have on uh, a couple nights. We're going to have Wycliffe Gordon sitting in with us. He's a guest on the album, and I love him. He's a fantastic trombone player and vocalist. So. Yeah, that's what we're going to do. Can you talk a little bit about, uh, I was thinking as I was coming over here that uh, two years ago at the Detroit Jazz Fest, your band was by far the best thing I saw. And I think one of the reasons for that was the connection that you developed very quickly with the audience and your awareness that there are, in fact, people there listening to you and that that matters. So I wanted to ask you just a little bit about live performance and, and what you think about, what you focus on, how much you notice the crowd and their their response or their feedback. Well, I totally noticed the crowd. I confess that while I'm inside the solo, like I close my eyes and I'm basically I'm lost in the in the music sphere. But when I when I you know as as a home player, I guess we have different uh, a different role than a rhythm section player. The rhythm section player he they they start to play the song and they are inside the song all all through from the moment the song starts until the end and the home player you know we're playing and then we stop and we walk off the stage and we we listen we become the listeners so i get to be both the audience and the performer in my shows and i listen to what the band is doing and i'm looking at the audience and i see how i feel and if it's coincide with what the audience how the audience reacts and i like to I like to be the the listener as well. So so it's important for me to to show the audience that I understand they're there and that we have a relationship that I'm there because they're there and vice versa. And it's not that I'm trying to change the music and to you know it, it's really not about the content of what I play as much as just respect the fact that they are there listening and uh you know, look at them, talk to them, and you know, acknowledge their existence, and let them express themselves at the end of the show when it's time for them to do their part. Sure. <laughs> so that's uh, that's something that I learned from uh, when I used to play with the Diva Jazz Orchestra. The Diva Jazz Orchestra had the, their founding manager, um, the great Stanley Kay, and Stanley Kay was the assistant drummer and manager of the of Buddy Rich, and for forty years. And he really comes from the more of the entertainment era, I guess, when probably when there was a time when jazz was real uh, entertainment. And um, I remember I got off, I used to get off the stage and say, hey, Stanley, did you like the show? And he said, it doesn't matter what I feel, look at the audience. And, you know, you would see them giving standing ovation. And he really, um, he really put a lot of emphasis, emphasis on the audience and also the way watching Sherry Miracle talking to the audience in a very ease, very natural, telling them about the band members, telling them about what the band is doing. It was a great experience. So that was a very uh, important part of how I learned to acknowledge the audience. And from there on, I've been trying to continue the tradition. 
a couple of weeks ago, Sonny Rollins was on the show and he was talking about one of his biggest influences being Fats Waller. And he said the reason he loved Fats so much was that he was able to really respond to the crowd, but also to keep the music intact, to to not alter the music you know, based on the crowd, but just to also keep the crowd in mind. And it sounds like when you said it doesn't influence the content of the music, that that's also what you're getting at. Is that right? Yeah, because, I mean, the, you know, we're playing jazz, and it's, it's, it's a moving art, and, and sometimes the music is going to go to places. I mean, I have no, especially when I'm not on stage, when I'm becoming the listener, when the rhythm section is taking over, I want to give my musicians complete freedom to go wherever they want. And, and if I'm controlling the music, if I'm on stage and I want to take the, it's really not, it, it, it really is, the, the, the idea is what the music needs at that moment. And I'm trying to do it in a judgment of not, you know, I can't alternate the music to, I don't know what the audience wants. You know, it's not really about making it more popular or making it more easy listening. You know, I'm not even sure how you can alternate <laughs> jazz to, you know, for the audience, but, but, you know, the, I think the idea is to really just let the music be and, and in its purest form and, and hope that the people there are, they, they're, they're with you on it. The new, uh, the new record, Claroscuro, is, I think, just another indication of how comfortable you are with just letting the songs be the songs, with, with really approaching the songs on their own terms, because this album, it covers a fair amount of stylistic ground, but it's really, I mean, it's just full of kind of beauty and melody, and uh, you seem very comfortable not needing to, I don't know, not needing to prove anything where the music is concerned. Yeah, I'm not sure I have anything to prove. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I mean, you know, I, I, I'm not sure I can prove anything. I mean, I, I just really, you know, you're talking about melodies and you're talking about songs, and and when you take songs that are strong, that are eternal, that are older than my existence, and uh, you just you play them, then all you can do is just serve the music and you know, treat them in a way that you, you, I like to keep the song, keep the spirit of the song. If the song has lyric, I like to, to have that in the back of my mind. And I like to, to create an atmosphere using a melody. You know, I don't play the lyric. 
I mean, I don't sing them, so I have to find a way to express the melody in, in the way that it is connected to the song. So someone actually sat down and wrote it. I didn't write all the songs on the album. So, so I, I, I think, um, I mean, if, if in response to what you're saying, then, then yeah, I mean, it's just every song has its own story. So I just try to stay as close to, to the source. Will you talk about a few of the tunes that you chose for this record and, and sure. maybe why you chose them, why they resonate with you? Okay, um, one song uh, is called As Rosas Now Falam, is The Roses Do Not Speak by uh, Brazil's, one of the Brazil's most beautiful singer-songwriter, his name is Cartola, Cartola. And, you know, when I heard the song, a lot of the, actually a lot of the Brazilian songs that I heard in my life, I heard before I understood a word of Portuguese. So all I could connect is the melody. And... And it's the same in many other languages. I mean, when 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 a melody resonates, then the, it's just it doesn't matter almost what the lyrics are. But then if you know that there's this extra meaning with with the lyrics, it's like oh my god. <laughs> so this song is like I I I love that melody for a long time until I actually sat down and tried to translate the lyric and say oh my god, it's so romantic and so sad and so. I just had to play it and find a way to 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 have the band create this vibe they can. You know, I play very, very soft on the clarinet and and the band, especially when the clarinet, you play with drums and, and bass and piano and, and you play on the lowest register of the clarinet and I almost whisper so the band has to adjust and play, kind of create the atmosphere with me and I love doing that. I love actually playing so, so quiet that everybody has to almost like just really tickle the piano and just slightly touch the the symbols of the drums. It's... I love creating those vibes. Actually, tell me how uh, Wycliffe came to be there. That's one. Mm, well, it's good. okay. I get to I get to work with Wycliffe quite a bit in different scenarios. Many playing the music of Louis Armstrong. I recorded on his album. He did a tribute to Louis Armstrong. And uh, we're thinking about uh, going into the studio and, and uh, thinking about who I can invite. You know, have some guests to, to kind of break the quartet. Um, and you know, I suggested Wycliffe and. The guys loved the idea. And then we said, okay, what are we going to play with Wycliffe? And then J- Jason Linder actually came up. He played for us Louis Armstrong version of La Vie en Rose. And basically what we're doing on the recording is we're playing... Um, the, Wycliffe and I are playing the exact notes that Louis played. The trombone and the trumpet part is the trombone and the clarinet part. So we're playing the exact rhythm and the exact notes, but the only thing that is different is the groove that the rhythm section is playing behind us. So, 
you know, I can't think of anybody on this planet that has the spirit of Pops more than Wycliffe Gordon. And then I said, do you want to sing? He's like, sure. I said, which key? He said, whatever Pops did is good for me. And we did one take on the studio of La Vie en Rose, and it was just magical. So, you know, Wycliffe is, is really someone I admire. Um, he has this, this beside, the, you know, the spirit of, of he swings so hard. And it's always so positive. And the way he plays the trombone, it just, it's just so sweet. I, I, um, it makes, I think it makes anyone fall in love with the trombone, and with Wycliffe, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I'm just, I'm happy he was available, and he came into the studio, and then he came in while Paquito was, Paquito de Rivera was finishing his part. And I said, wait, guys, let's try something. It was very spontaneous, and we took the song of, uh, of Dr. Lonnie Smith called and the world weeps that also jason liner hit me for too he sent me a leak on youtube i was like wow this is killing so i said okay paquito you play this line why if you play this line i'll play this and let's try it and we just did one take in the studio and, and that's the one that is on the album and you know i was really trying to keep some of the spontaneous part of jazz you know you can't plan everything and it's not perfect, and I love it that it's not perfect. And, you know, I didn't want to fix anything. You know, there's some, maybe some mistakes. But, you know, you really, that's what makes the moment. So, so that's what, that's what still exists on the album. Be. Yes, love and Has has music from the era of uh, you know Louis Armstrong, Benny Goodman, people that you've explored on record? Has music from that era always resonated with you, or did that come kind of later in your development as a player? You know, it's kind of strange. It always resonated with me, and I I'm not sure why. Um, Was it part of your education, like the arts high school you went to? I mean, did you hear a lot of that kind of music, or? Not part, not, not through school. I mean, I was listening to Louis Armstrong, and uh, and I had the Louis and Ella tape. You know, uh, going to school, listen to it, and I remember listening to Sidney Bechet when I was just starting to play the clarinet, and I was completely in awe for the the, the power in the music and the fire that he has when he plays. Um, you know, it it wasn't 
I guess the, the closest thing that I can say when the first jazz that I officially played was uh, the music of New Orleans. There was, it was in a conservatory in Israel and there was a Dixieland band rehearsal twice a week and once I could play a little bit the clarinet then I joined the, this band and I didn't know anything about improvisation. I was reading all the written solos but I loved the feeling of this, the way it felt, the bounciness, the, it was positive, everybody was playing together, you have to listen Everybody is in constantly involved. You know, the solos are not too long, so you don't get lost like, oh, my God, I know. let me go have a sandwich while this guy is practicing. You know, <laughs> you know, we were students. We we're young. You know, not everybody's sounding great. But once you're playing, like, one chorus, it's, like, amazing. So, so I guess I had the, the access to early jazz um, early on. And I stayed with this love and, and passion for this music. And listening to Louis Armstrong, I think it's, it's uh, you know, you want to be introduced to, to jazz and to, to honest and pure uh, music, then, you know, you got to listen to pops. And it feels to me like that kind of goes back to what you were talking about before, about that idea of, uh, you know, kind of entertainment. I mean, that I think people might come down on one side or the other where Louis Armstrong is concerned about being an entertainer, but his music, he always kept the music together. Yeah. And in New Orleans, music is so much about connection with the people. I mean, it often happens right in the streets, you know, surrounded by people. And it just feels like it's a very organic kind of connected to the listener in a way that maybe some other kinds of music, particularly in the jazz world, aren't. Yeah. And also, you know, the kind of instrumentation you, you use, you really, you can play in the streets. Well, and, you know, people can't really carry their piano or, you know, any amplification, but... You can take a banjo and a tuba and a, you know trumpet and clarinet. Actually, I, we used to do that uh, with my friend uh, Barbara Laronga. She now she lives in LA. She used to be at Diva G's Orchestra. And we used to get together in here in New York and go to Columbus Circle with my friend Keith on banjo and Sparky on tuba. And we would just like put the banjo case, open it, and, and stand there and play. And you know that nobody has to stop. But once you get a crowd around you, it because they, they, they were attracted to the music. They, they, they wanted to stop. They wanted to be part of the moment. So I think playing on the street is, is something that, I don't know, some, some cats don't like it. They're like, I don't know. I, I don't, they, they feel like it's beneath them. But there's something really interesting, the experience of standing there and watching if you connect with people. And, you know, if you don't connect with them, they're just going to keep walking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, in the club, they're stuck. They pay the tickets. I pay, pay they might as well stay. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Let me order some dessert. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's, it's I, I, you know, and that was, again, exploring the music of, of New Orleans and, and playing those old songs and just being melodic and, and, and swinging and trying to, to reach, you know, each other musically and personally. So... I, I guess this music is a big part of me, I guess bigger than I really give it the space to. Sure.
Um, in all of the places where I grew up, there were never street musicians. And traveling around the U.S. for the last, you know, several months, very few of the towns I went to ever had people playing on the street. Even the large cities I went to very seldom had people playing on the street. And even in New York, it seems like it's not as common as I would have thought. I wonder if it was different in Israel or and I've never been to Europe. As you travel around Europe or South America, do you see a lot more street music and people out in public? Yeah, you know, not a lot. I think in New York, in, in some ways, I think uh, the, the, the city <laughs> the, the city hall doesn't let people to, you know, right. <laughs> you need permit. I'm like, why would you need permit? I mean, I understand some, you've got to control some of it and the, the volume and it's not everybody's into music, so you don't want to interrupt the residents. But, you know, you, it's, it's kind of against the law to just go and play yeah. in any corner. And I would think if... if I don't know when I, you know, when I just moved to New York, I used to, when I used to live in Queens and I had to work in Manhattan, I had to rehearse and then maybe go back to Queens and come back to, I would just stay in the city and I would just open my horn in, in Tompkins Park or in Washington Square Park and I would just go into on the grass and just practice or Central Park and I, I, I don't know, being, playing outside, you can work on your sound, you work on your connection with nature, with the surrounding. I mean, I, I don't know why they don't let more... <laughs> <laughs> or people play on the street. It could be chaotic, though, if everybody starts sure. practicing on the street. But the neighbors would be, um, some would be happy and some won't be, I guess. But it feels like an important part of our civic life to have music as part of it. I mean, we have public sculpture and public paintings and things like that. It seems like public music is equally important. I mean, I, I just think even from the point of view, you know, I'm a, I'm a dad, I have two small kids, and the idea of being able to walk around with them and encounter somebody playing, I think, is amazing. For I, I agree with you. You know, I don't, I, I don't know why more people don't do that. Let me ask a question. I don't know if this is a stupid question or not, but how do you know when, <laughs> when to play clarinet and when to play saxophone on a particular <laughs> It's not a stupid question. I, I'm, I don't always know. Sometimes I, I will start a song on, on, on the tenor and I will say, you know what, this doesn't feel right. And I'll just switch in the middle. Um, but in general, I think, um, I mean, the tenor and the clarinet have two very different characters and it's a certain connection with the melody it depends on the range although the tenor and the clarinet they have relatively similar range if uh, if you get to play the altissimo on the tenor um, but with me the soprano and the clarinet it makes a big difference because the soprano is, is more limited in, in the notes you can't go to the low sound so I think it's, it's uh, it really depends how the energy of the song the velocity and you know what's kind of how percussive it is, how much you want to reach, what kind of energy you want to create. I think the tenor the tenor has definitely more of the I don't know how to say it. <laughs> I, I think mean, you, just you know. Said, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you can you can definitely like, you know, I can I mean I can scream on the clarinet too, but you can't really scream on the clarinet on the low notes. If sometimes mm. the clarinet you scream you, you tend to do it on the high register and sometimes I like, really don't want to do that. I feel <laughs> have mercy on the audience, please. <laughs> so, you know, otherwise I would give everybody earplugs when they walk into my show. <laughs> If you play, um, you know, multiple nights somewhere, do you sometimes play the same tune the next night on the other instrument? Do you ever switch? That sometimes, one? sometimes. If uh, sometimes the melody, it, it it goes, it can go either way, and it's going to create a different different vibe to the song. It depends if I'm going to play it softly on the lower register, on the 
on the clarinet or I'm going to play it like on loud on the soprano. You know, it, it, it really makes a difference and it's going to make the band play different. Mm -hmm. So it, 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 it's incredible. It's, and it's not just the sound of the instrument. It, it really creates a different vibe and it, it, it makes me express different parts of my personality. It's not just the sound. It, it, it changes the whole being. That's really interesting. So you feel like you're a, I don't know if it's too strong to say a different player, but there are, there's some other parts of you, some other ways that you play that come out differently depending on what instrument you. Oh yeah, you the other and I play completely different. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, play. yeah, I think all of us are pretty. Uh... <laughs> no, we, yes, I mean in, in in a way, I mean I, I, but you know it also changes between one night to the next night. Even if I play the same instrument, I I I like to. I mean, some songs I end up playing similarly, but some songs I would, you know, can. Wow, it's a good question. <laughs> <laughs> we can leave the deep ones for later. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let me ask you about this band, the quartet that's going to be at the Vanguard and, and that's on the record, and how you how you knew that these were the people you wanted to play with you. How how you could tell? I mean, obviously you have history with all of them, but well, the only ones were available. <laughs> right. no, I'm just exactly. kidding. <laughs> it was a slow day at the Union Hall. <laughs> Um, actually, you know, the, the, Jason Lindner is a person that I, I have been um, a fan of since I, I was a student at Berkeley College of Music. I used to come to New York on spring breaks and I would go to Smalls and, you know, Jason had the, the first gig ever at Smalls with his big band when Smalls opened. And um, I used to come to Smalls and hear him playing with his big band and sometimes with a small band and he was part of other people's band. So I've heard him and there was always something like... There's always something magical in his playing. Very in the moment, very unpredictable, very pictorial, very grooving, like different colors that uh, I was did not understand. And I, I was always curious about his music. So when I moved to New York, we we became friends and we started to hang out. And he, he loves so many kinds of music. He's been a very uh, big influence on me. So it was natural for me to to call jason to say hey let's let's make a recording together and let's let's play together and uh especially since the music is has all kinds of colors from more like i don't know my music i don't know what my music is but i can go to a lot of different directions and with people with an imagination like jason it definitely helps take the music to 
you know, you try to play something conventional and then it goes to a, a place that I couldn't, sometimes I don't even imagine it can go to. And Jason has these ideas. So, so I love playing with him and I, I, I'm happy that, that we became friends and that he wants to work with me. And you mentioned that some of the tracks on Claro Scuro are there because he suggested them also, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, like, I mean, there's his song, Anat's Dance. Sure. And then there is uh, the Lonnie Smith song and also the... The one with Wycliffe, The, right? the, the one with Wycliffe, yeah. La Vie en Rose. Um, and then, you know, Daniel Freeman was, you know, always playing with Jason. I mean, he was, you know, part of the of the small scene together with Omer Avital. And, and, you know, they had actually, they were playing as a trio a lot. So I got to know them almost as a unit. And they recorded on my first album and... And I got to meet Joe a few years later, Joe Martin. And, um, you know, there's something uh, very unconventional with the way Joe is playing. And, you know, I was like, I, I'm, I'm trying to understand and to trying to follow. And it, he likes to break the rhythms and kind of like living on the edge. And it's interesting because it, it challenges me to, to get out of my comfort zone and, and find my way. In, in their spaces, and I like the way the, this them, Jason, Daniel, and Joe, they have their, you know, and they look, at, you know, the music, like, gets inside the, the, that music sphere, and they, like, they they have this intense look in their eyes, and they're looking at each other, and, and they, you know, they're in the zone, and, and sometimes I'm in the zone with them, and sometimes I'm just the, the listener, but it's just, uh, I love watching them working as a unit. You've been uh, on the road a ton throughout a lot of your career. Can you talk about some of the places you've been recently? Recently? Well, a couple of days ago, I played in Brazil. That was actually a duo show with a wonderful guitar player called Romero Lubambo. Um, and uh, I love Brazil. <laughs> I Why? really do. It's just, uh, you know, it's chaotic in a way that is impossible not to just relax into it. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great way to say it. <laughs> you just, you know, they really when say when you can't beat them, join them. That's kind of uh, <laughs> the way I feel when I go to Brazil. And, you know, in a way, you know, as someone that, uh, you know, I grew up in, in Israel and there's a lot of, it's, it's pretty unstable. I mean, in stable life, but pretty unstable future. And, um, you always kind of want to know where you are and what you're doing. And there's something in Brazil, there's some kind of relaxation that is, is, uh, is a good challenge for me to just let go of just of control, let go of just f- go with the flow. And everybody's like, eventually things just work out and you can't get too stressed about it. And it's just always a good reminder of, um, you know, you come back to New York where everybody got to know every, every little detail, everything. Sure. <laughs> Yeah, it's 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 nice contrast. And I can't say everybody's like that in Brazil, but right. you know, hanging out is like that. Yeah. So uh, that's one place I've been to recently. Whereas I've been to Israel, which I just mentioned. Uh, I've been to Angola. Oh wow! Tell me about that. <laughs> I went to play with my quartet. There was uh, there have uh, they have one, um, maybe two, but I think one person in Angola that brings jazz to Angola and uh, to a club or to a festival or it's uh, probably it not it wasn't really a festival it wasn't really a club either it was basically a, a room 
that the 30 people that love jazz in Angola can go and enjoy it. Okay. And I think he's the only person that has drum set in Angola and piano. He had to buy the equipment because otherwise he would have to, he had to import it every, every gig from Portugal. Oh, wow. So it was interesting. Very, a uh, lot of contrast between the rich and the poor, a lot of sure. poverty. And, um, it was just nice to to give some music to the people and see the music enjoying the the sound of you know real instruments next to them so and getting to see jazz players uh you know from new york i mean it it must be a fairly even even with this guy it must be a fairly rare experience for the folks in the audience right probably probably i uh i don't know how many people you know it's it's not really a Tourists don't go to Angola. Sure, they they have a long way to go still. So they're 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 building building it slowly, slowly but slowly. How did you end up there? How did that happen? I met. I played with my quartet in Portugal uh, a year before, and um, and the promoter, this guy, JJ, who's a fantastic guy. He has a radio show. He loves jazz. You know. I mean, okay, you know that everybody that promotes jazz got to do it because they love jazz. Because sure. <laughs> we know, we know there's not a lot of money in this, so we always appreciate it if the people actually make an effort to get you to places. And um, he came to the concert. In it was a jazz festival. We played in Cascais in Portugal, and he came there and he loved the band. And he said, "Hey, you want to go to Angola?" And I said, "Sure." And you know, I you know, I never knew it's actually going to happen. But sure. A year later, I was, we were in Angola playing with my quartet, wow. two shows, and and you know, swimming in the in the in the ocean and and eating lobsters and and dealing with the streets. Sure, it's fantastic experience. It seems silly to ask what's coming up after the Vanguard because the Vanguard's kind of a big deal. But what's coming up after the Vanguard? Um, I am playing at the Kennedy Center. That's nice. Great. In the, in October and uh, and uh, in Boston, I'm gonna have I'm gonna play the Regatta Bar, and then I got some shows in the Earshot in Seattle and Denver, and a few other shows coming up. And then uh, the next uh, big thing will be uh, next year, Carnegie Hall with my brothers. That's in February, so it's gonna be big. That's fantastic. Yeah, and you know it's a lot of different things. Sure. I can really you want you want you want more. It's totally up to you. <laughs> I think that's plenty. Yes, probably is. What what keeps you kind of engaged with the music, and what keeps you kind of coming back? And I love when 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 people call me to play and play their music, play other other kind of project, other sounds that I. I think most of the music that I get to play with my own band is music that somehow I got I encountered by playing or by happened to be in a place that listened to it or someone hit me to. So you know the, the surrounding the people around me that that they keep discovering new things and and we discover together new sounds and and I get to be thrown into water unfamiliar water and discover there's so so much. It's just a never ending journey. So. And that's without even talking about like diving into a harmonic concept and you know going through your own like craziness in your mind and practicing when you're alone in the practice room and and what you're thinking about and shapes of of 
of scales and, and harmony that, you know, this is a whole world of like each, each, each musicians have their own, their own journey and their, their own way of creating their language and what they're looking for when they play. So there's, there's the alone time and then there is the, the sharing experience of the experience of music with other people whether it's on stage or off stage, in festivals, you know, I was in South Africa and then, then listening to Umu Sangare singing. It's just like sitting, like being part of, you know, having an artist pass, so sitting right underneath the stage looking at her humongous being. And the music is just the music from Mali and, and it's just divine. And, and so, you know, and then you, how can you like not just want to, be there and keep doing it so you can have more and more experiences like that. Is there something you feel like you're heading toward? Are you kind of like looking down the road at some goal or destination or is, is that not clear? Well, I always, you know, when I think about heading toward, I always kind of wish to expand my writing. I, you know, it's something that I realize it's just not going to happen by, by itself. It's something I have to just make a decision, a conscious decision to take time to to dive into because there's always there's always gigs, there's always traveling, there's always things to do and you know, I think it's it's a dedication like any, like when you wanna exercise and you wanna cook and you anything you wanna do, you wanna create some kind of routine and I think with I mean with writing music it's the same, so I'd like to find a way to expand the writing. My guest is Anat Cohen, the new album is called Claro Oscuro and uh, it's a pleasure to finally have you on the show. Thanks for being here. Jason, it's uh, it's absolutely my pleasure. I can't believe uh, we were actually getting to talk. I like know, that. it's great. <laughs> this is beautiful. Thank you. Thanks, Anna. That's music from Anat Cohen and her new album, Cloud Oscuro. I'm Jason Crane. This is the Jazz Session, sponsored by Matt Rock, Murat Verdi, and Kyle Quas. Please do get out there and support live jazz whenever and wherever you can, and come back next time for another conversation about jazz on the Jazz Session.
everybody. Bye.